Welcome back to episode 29 of the Top Loaded Podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Gridership.co.uk, the UK's number one choice for sports cards and memorabilia shipping from the United States of America. And Harry, how are you doing on this fine Sunday of us recording? Yeah, at the moment, I'm all right. Um, I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll see how my mood changes throughout the afternoon with the, the Dutch Grand Prix and also then Arsenal United as well. But um, no, as of today, I'm, uh, I'm quite content. How are you, mate? Yeah, I think it was a very systematic approach for us to recall prior to an Arsenal, Man United-Arsenal game with uh, two. So as everyone's listened to this, they'll know the result, which is quite strange. But I'm going to say it already, what an awful refereeing display. But we won't talk about that too much because VAR is a, a nightmare. But we're going to have to talk about another nightmare that a lot of people speculated about. But now Tops have come out and addressed it, which is the issue surrounding on-demand parallels such as Tops now. And they come out of a statement five days ago of recording of, yeah, it's come to our attention that there have been some issues relating to the fulfilment of parallel cards for some print on-demand orders. To reassure our collectors, we hear what you're telling us. We take this matter very seriously and we're looking into current processes and working hard to prevent any such issues from happening again. We are 100% committed to isolating and fixing any uh, issues. Our attention is that all of our customers have an even and fair chance of finding parallel based on the number of cars they ordered. We thank you for the patience while we work to resolve this issue. So we very vaguely discussed it last week about this issue about few people had it come in of an envelope in the post months after and they didn't get a parallel of the code ordered. So A, it's fantastic that Tops have addressed this issue. But B, where do you think the issue... Like, obviously, we can only speculate. We're not pointing fingers at anyone. But how do you think this actually occurred? Um, well, I guess you've probably got it from a numerous different, different angles. I think you probably only got two different outlets that it could potentially have occurred from. It's either going to be like an internal, a, a tops issue, or it's going to lie with a Royal Mail issue. Um, obviously, which we don't know. Um, it's probably a, a fairly even chance of being either. Um, but obviously, we spoke about it just before um, we came on. And Do we think it's the wisest of decisions where you get this different coloured envelope when you know there's going to be a parallel inside. Now, obviously, yes, the excitement from our perspective, you know, when you get the post come through, it's a different, it's that like dark yellow envelope. You think like, gosh, I hit the nail on the head here, I've got a parallel. But now that is so known, anyone that works for Royal Mail, for example, you see a tops envelope come through your, uh, your sorting case, however you want to say it, um, you know there's a parallel inside that inside the envelope. So, I mean, you know, yes, it's good that they've come out and addressed it. They've obviously got the ball rolling. It's just a case of how do they address it? What will they do to address it? And how long is it going to take? Because, I mean, you know, us collectors aren't probably the most patient of people in terms of, you know, waiting for grading, waiting for issues to be resolved. And uh, tops aren't the quickest at resolving situations. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how quickly and what they do, because I think it's got to be a massive investigation before they just start refunding people or dishing money back out to, to collectors. Oh, definitely. I think, especially when they when you look into a thing, because if it's internal, it's a very much a different story of you're liable and it's down to you. Whereas it's external, you can then start pushing the blame on them. And like we say, it's a it's a very interesting. Obviously, it's not great. It's not great at all, but it's very interesting of the fact of parallels. And when people get in these envelopes, I can't remember who it was. I see someone on Instagram, so apologies if you're listening. But they got a Manuel Neuer to 99 of a card they never ordered. It was actually a Tops Now one. And it arrived three and a half months after they ordered anything from Tops. So something clear, clearly has happened. Like, and It's good that they are addressing it, and hopefully they can find a resolution quite quickly because... It's a very much an integral part of business for tops of the on-demand sets having the parallels to collect. Like I'm thinking Project 22 at the moment seems to have, I've not seen any issues with that, even though some people have had like week two after week one. But you look at tops now, especially 
like yesterday, for example, so Saturday of when before recording, they released the Belgian Grand Prix tops now. Will these have the same issues or will they start doing a new procedure for that? So, like I said, there's some massive one of one cards out there for tops now. And if, imagine if you was meant, you'd never know. This is the thing of people now will be thinking, was I meant to get the one of one? Like you could have a massive one of one of a rookie or a one of one Hamilton or Leclerc and you end up getting a base Champions League chrome Cristiano from Sheriff, which is obviously a very different in price. But like I said, I haven't seen any issues of Tops America having these issues of parallels. So like I say, it's a, a, something they need to look into, which will hopefully be resolved very quick because every week there's going to be more. And especially now with the UEFA competition starting this week, you're going to have the Champions League, Europa League and Conference League tops now, which for me is for me and Harry is very good because um, hopefully we'll get some Arsenal tops cards finally come out. Um, we've got FC Zurich away, so hopefully a nice little tops now with their beautiful new kits we have. But just, just, well, I don't know if you would agree or not. Do you think people would stop ordering these on-demand sets now there's an issue? Or do you think most people will just still bite the bullet, buy the card and just hope for the best? Uh, I genuinely think people will just will keep buying them. Um, I think Tops now is too big a set. It's too popular. It's too likeable with current or sort of events, if you like, that people will just stop ordering them. Um, I don't think people would order as many. I don't think people would buy, you know, 30 of the same car to try and hit a parallel or, you know, 100 of the same car to try and hit a few parallels. Um, I think you might see a decrease in that and people just buying 10 or just the one or five. Um, that's the only potential effects, knock-on effects that I could think that may happen as a result of these sort of um, coming outs, if you like. But um, I, I genuinely think that Tops now is too popular, it's too good a set for it to be completely diminished because of something that's happened. Um, I think the collectors love it too much. I personally love Tops now, and like you said, I'm buzzing that Arsenal are going to have some more Tops now coming out with uh, being back in UEFA. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to affect the sales too much. I just think it could potentially affect the volume that people are buying them in. Which is not the end of the world for your general collector, because... Whereas you have some people ordering 30, 50, 100 or whatever it is. If now they order 10, it just makes everyone's odds a bit better at getting a parallel. If Obviously, not all Tops Mail cards are paralleled, but they, for example, we released this week the Alexis Patalas and Kareem Benzema Players of the Year for UEFA competitions, which were really nice cards. The parallels look great. So hopefully, I haven't ordered any of them, but hopefully like, it's all resolved for them issues. But I think moving on, because obviously we'll keep, Whenever we get any more news or whenever Tops release anything, we'll discuss it or bring it to your attention on the pod. But another Tops thing this week, which is going to be very intriguing, is game this Friday is going to be the Merlin Blasters. They seem like they've been in stores for a while yet, because they have, because they've been in on shelves about three weeks, but obviously not been able to sell. Not meant to, even though some have popped up on eBay and Instagram here and there. It's going to be interesting. And unless you, I think Harry's working, so he's going to confirm this, but... Do you think anyone within the hobby are going to be standing outside with a suitcase ready to fill up on Friday? Um, yes. Yeah, it's a short answer to that. I think there's going to be a lot of collectors out there that will be outside a game store, ready for it to open. Um, I mean, I've read somewhere that I think they're going to be limiting the purchases to only one or a few per customer. But I mean, we're not all born yesterday. We know how to work around that. So I'm sure people aren't going to, aren't going to struggle too much. But I think it's going to be a nice thing for the for the hobby to have collectors outside a game waiting for the stores to open to buy some products. I think it's in my apart from score, one of the first real times we've got a big product in in stores for us to for us to buy. So it wouldn't surprise me if we completely wiped out every single game store by the end of day on Friday. Um, you know, you are right. I am unfortunately working, so. I might have to take a venture down on a, on Saturday morning and see if I can actually buy anything, um, if there's anything left for that matter. But yeah, I, I think we're going to be going to be very eagerly awaiting. It's been a long time coming. I think we've sort of waited for the last couple of weeks when we first saw the blasters out on display accidentally. 
Um, I think it's been a sort of a suspense building um, since then. So I think it's going to be, going to be really refreshing for the hobby to buy some products in a, in a physical store. So, yeah, I'm sure if you were heading down to any game on Friday morning, you probably won't be alone waiting outside for uh, the stores to open. No, definitely. And I think hopefully if they sell as well as everyone think they're going to sell, it might be a good prompt for uh, for tops, but also games to really invest within the trading cards of getting more product in, especially if these all set, say, for example, they're near enough sell out nationwide within the first day or even the first weekend. Game would be like, look, this is a really good idea to make some money. Obviously, they stock Pokemon cards in there already, which do really well. And I believe other TCGs um, in there. So if these sell as well as what we're imagining it, who knows that, for example, um, there were some blasters. Um, I think Stadium Club had some Mega, sorry, which launched on Target. Why not in the future have them launching game? So I think it opens the door to a lot more possibilities of um, more products coming onto our shelves on the within the retail setting, which is just fantastic because people who don't even collect cards might walk into their games and buy like the new FIFA or the new NFL, like new Madden or new NBA 2K. And then they'd be like, oh, these like trading cards, let me get some of my favourite players in it. And then could start the adventure of a lot more people into the hobby, which would be absolutely fantastic to see. And like, hopefully I might go and try and pick up one on Friday and maybe open it live either on the next episode or live on Instagram, which would just be quite intriguing to see what they are, because in past, the blasters have sometimes been better than the hobbies I've seen for Tops products, so it could always be a fun £25, obviously still a lot of money, but could be quite a good fun little rip, especially if few mates get them and we'll do a bit of a opening, and then no doubt I'll get a load of Tottenham players and then just want to throw the box in the bin. But that's I think it poses the question of, is it going to be a continual restock? Obviously, no. You know, with with game, is it going to be a case of they're going to keep getting deliveries in, and they're going to be constantly stocked up, or is it going to be a case of once they're probably inevitably sold out on the first day of release, are they going to get more in? Because um, I guess you know, from our perspective, some of them, some people that can't get down there on Friday or don't live near a game or any anything along those lines, are they going to get a chance to? restock those and have a continual delivery of them or is it going to be one influx and then once they're gone they're gone I think that's going to be an interesting insight to see what how that's going to plan out oh, definitely I think it's a very good point and especially like we don't know much yet about the actual breakdown of the boxes or the average pack weights of other parallels but you're guaranteed three aqua prism refractors per uh, blaster box and no, I think you could, it's like very short odds for autographs in them, but I don't think it's impossible. But like we say, it'd be quite intriguing when I was kind of hoping when the person took a picture of the blasters in game that they actually turned it around and had the pack weight on the back because then we would learn a lot more about the set and whether it'd be that good. But no doubt that'll come out very quickly on Friday of every single person on Instagram going to take a picture at some point in a game and either be cop or not cop and then it'd be quite intriguing to see but like I say it should be a lot of fun hopefully see some really nice pulls from people um, some nice big cards because it's an, it's an, it's an alright I quite like Merlin some nice stuff in there not as in my personal eyes it's not as nice as um, Stadium Club which I'd love if it was a Stadium Club retail product but can't be too picky and it's just it's just it's going to be one of them things of it's going to be the start of a very good retail endeavour in the trading card world and hopefully Fanatics obviously are looking at taking it very in, like up there but it'd be nice to see Panini do it as well and I know you've now got a lovely talking point which is making people very happy within the hobby of certain people across the pond thinking about journeying over Yeah I think um, everyone that sort of listens to Card Talk um, the podcast from the US, um, I saw a few people post about it on on Instagram, um, where they were talking obviously about the London Card Show, and I think for me, you're going to start potentially bringing over these big US content creators, collectors, um, renowned, I guess, figures within the card collecting community. You bring them over to the London Card Show. That they were talking about 
And in my, I think it's massive. I think it's massive for Harry and the team at the London Card Show in terms of promoting that uh, the whole of the US hobby. Because I think, you know, once you get some of those big figures that come and come to these shows, come to the UK, other people then start jump on the bandwagon. Um, so I think it's only going to be a snowball effect because once a few start coming over, the next time you'll get more coming over. The next time you'll get even more coming over. Um, and I think there's nothing, nothing but the positivity. I think, you know, it's, it's a really big thing. You know, Card Collector 2, Sunday League Investors, Tyler, like they're all talking about about coming over. Um, so I think to see, even for the UK, I mean, I've, I watch Card Collector 2 on YouTube, know it. And I think to then have him come over to the London Card Show and see what he does in person, um, I think it's just going to be like, it'll just be a big, big step forward. And especially for us, like I said, for, for Harry and the team, I think to have those big US names coming over to the London Card Show, um, I think will be massive. So, yeah, I think it's going to be really, really good. Hopefully they do end up coming down. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a really big talking point. Um, if they do do find their way to to London, definitely. I think it's one of them that'd be a real turning point because, especially if their massive viewing audience, not just on the podcast but on their YouTube channels combined, that as soon as people see a adventure obviously in the UK having the card shows, and no doubt there'd be some people who are collectors in America think that they actually could probably sell up a store at like the London Card Show, for example, and make some real good money because we all know that you get some good price out of America, but especially if you're like a soccer collector out in the States, it could be really beneficial for you to start making them connections within the UK. So, so it would be fantastic. And I think no doubt with the plan that London Card Show have got in place for future shows and growing in size, which is growing rapidly two days this time, hopefully even bigger venue than one after that, or who knows where it could be this time next year. If you've got a, I think it's a hundred stalls at the moment per day. Imagine if you had a show with three, four hundred stalls or two, three hundred stalls. Uh, it just could be such a big thing, especially for content creation, which is so good to see. Because that's one thing I love. Like you say, Car Collector Two, Tyler, even Mojo, uh, just to name a few. There's tons out there who do it. That they go to all these different shows like Burbank, they go to Nationals, Dallas, New York wherever it is, and you get to see their shows and how manic they are. The Burbank one was his first one ever, and I see it on both Card Collector 2 and Mojo's uh, videos, that it was absolutely swamped. The queues were all day, and it was the first time they ever done the show, and they literally had to turn people away, so it was that busy. So imagine getting like the videos out of the UK scene on the London Card Show, and then be like, oh, I could, I could go over to do that, and then that person brings five people over and then it just snowballs and then who knows where it could be within a year or two. And it's just such an exciting time to have these big people within the scene, just looking at the show. And I, I know, don't doubt your agreement. It bring, will bring a lot more money into the UK scene. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, we've seen how big the U S sports are, how big the U S hobby is. And um, I think the, the money obviously it would bring over, you, just, you watch some of the YouTube videos and the money they, they spend at these card shows. And, you know, I know like Card Collector 2 does it as a living, you know, so he runs his own card shop. Um, so, but just the, the money that they bring over is just like on a different scale. Like, I can't, the money they drop on like a lot of cards, I'm like, mate, that's like two years worth of my earnings. Like, it's just, it's just mental. But, um, yeah, I, th I think it would, it would bring a lot more money over. It would bring a lot more attention over. Um, and like I said, it would just be a snowball effect because the minute that you get a few of them, more of them will come over, then more of them will come over. I mean, it would just be a, a, a recurring recurring thing. So I'm really looking forward to seeing whether they do come over or not. And I'm sure, obviously, they were talking about it more on uh, probably their pods before, before the time comes. So... We've got enough like, eyes and ears everywhere in the hobby to to know what they're talking about. So I'm sure we'll find out sooner rather than later. But um, yeah, I think it'd be massive if they uh, they make the trip over the pond. Oh, yeah, it'd be great, no doubt. I think like everyone else, it'd be great even be able to ca catch them for two minutes, just have a conversation with them because their insight and the knowledge of the industry would be so beneficial to anyone, especially people like ourselves who are creating content within the scene. And 
obviously these are the like people in America, the forerunners, and we're just we're just the ones over here in the UK doing it. So like I say, it'd be absolutely fantastic to see and be great for Harry and the team because there's no doubt that it would just the more people wanting to come, the bigger place they can do, the more guarantees they could make, the more tables and by the time next year, who knows where it'll be, whether it'll still be at the race course or it could go to a bigger venue, which would be fantastic. Um, but we asked on Instagram last night for a few questions. There's some very good questions have come in. Uh, very good talking points as well. So the first one is from Kings Road Cars. And his question was, what is your biggest pet peeve such frustrations in hobby? Which is a great question. Something that gets talked about a lot. And I know there's quite a few out there, peeves and frustrations. So, Wait, do you want to start with this one? Because I think I could probably go on for about three hours. I'm going to have to try and think of which ones to say and not to say. Um, yeah, I guess it's it's one of them things in it where also like you know people get wound up with different things. Um, it's obviously a, a touchy subject because obviously you know you don't want to tread too carefully, but you don't want to step on too many people's toes. Um, for me, this might sound a bit controversial. And it's not, I guess, so much um, within collecting, um, but it's. I guess shield bidding for me does my absolute head in. Like you see a card on eBay that you you think, oh, like that's a Grail card, or oh, I've been looking for this card for ages. It's a low number parallel that I've been looking for to complete a rainbow or to find here, there, and everywhere. I finally found it on eBay and some geezer with zero feedback is big, like $200 in the space of 30 seconds. And you just, you, it just poses the question. It just does my headache. You think you finally found this one card that, that you've been looking for for ages. Um, and you find it and it's like $200 more than like it's even worth. So yeah, I think probably the first point for me is just shield bidding. People just trying to like, I, I get everyone wants to make money in the hobby. Like the money isn't there. The, the hobby, sorry, isn't there for you to, to try and always lose money on it. But I guess the whole point of collecting cards is the values go up and down. You can't sit there and be firm and say, you know, I paid X, now I want that plus 20%. Whereas the card is now decreased by 20%. It's like, it, it, it's, not, it's not logical. No one's going to buy that card for more or 40% more than what it's worth in the current going market. So I think for me, those two of my biggest pet peeves is a shield bidding and then people trying to flog and make money when something isn't worth that value anymore. Um, I mean, I don't know how long we've got if you start ticking up your list. But um, yeah, I think the two that stand out for me um, is is probably, probably those two. Yeah, I think... I won't go too full into my but like I say, shield bidding is a massive issue and it's very, it's a, one of them subjects it's very hard to resolve because there's always probably a way around doing it and we've seen it all before or we've heard horror stories of before where people have been bidding and the good thing with eBay is you can kind of tell when it's been shield bidded because you can see the like, part of the username the person's bidding and it's funny when you get the same person bid about 62 times in a row which obviously drives up the price of cards and then comps so what they'll try and do is they'll sell a card, say it's just a bit of random card, for example, say a Jude Bellingham rookie uh, Sapphire. They'll bid up their own card, say $130, and then they'll list one up for $70. So people will look at the last comp, and realistically it could be a $65 card, but because the last comp was 130 people are like, oh, $70 is a good deal. So you can see why people do it, but like I say, it's just not the best thing to do, especially for misleading people in the hobby. But I think one of my main ones within the hobby, I think I, I, it's not really ripe at the moment, but it's within the breaking world. And it, it's quite an interesting one how people, it's, as I say, it's a very interesting topic because prices are breaks at the moment. People, if someone's high in price, they start jumping on them saying, this is how much, it shouldn't be that much. It, it's a 300 box. How can you charge 360 for the spot? But, as we can see at the moment, I remember six months ago on Instagram, there was a different breaker breaking everything on every single night. Now, if you get one breaker a week on Instagram, it's quite thin because everyone was trying to undercut each other to a point where everyone was making a loss. And now you can't do it. Like you said before, you can't 
you can't lose on everything in the hobby. It's a hobby. So you need to make money. And what goes on behind the scenes with race, especially when they do like case breaks or anything like that, you got to break all the, you got to get the product in. You got to then break the product, which takes time. Sort, sleeve all the cards, which take an absolute attorney, and then sort all the cards out, package them all up, and then so you're not just paying for a break. You're not just paying for the cards that you get. You're paying for the overall experience and for all of this time that they put in sorting the cards out and all that. So obviously, breaking is in a very interesting point. Moment. We hope to do a special with that very soon about breaking and where it should go and everything like that. But I just don't get people jumping at people for making 30 quid off a break. Yeah, I think it's one of them things where you look at it at face value. Like any any collector looks at it at face value and goes, cool, I'm paying for the team. Like I'm paying 25 quid for Arsenal in this break. But they don't look at it from perspective of the, if this person sits there for three hours on a live, breaks the box, sorts the cards out, Sleeves the cards, top loads the cards, sorts them all out in a bubble mailer, goes to the posters, posts them all out. Like buying the the actual supplies is a cost to their own already. Number one, then two is how, how long they put into it, how many hours they put into it, the time they put into it. You know, three you've then got plus the postage. So by the time you're paying twenty five pounds for that for that that slot, let's say, you're probably taking off at least five to ten pounds of that with postage and sleeves and top loaders and whatever else they're putting into it. So yeah, I think a lot of people look at it face value and just think, cool, I'm paying for cards in this break. Nothing other than that. So yeah, I think the, the quicker people get used to the fact obviously you're not just paying for you're paying for a service effectively. You're paying for the full the full service, the full full experience supposed to just obviously whatever cards you pull from a break so um yeah no i definitely uh definitely uh, agree with you on that one and my last one and i know i'm not the only one who has this or ever experienced this is when you receive a card that you purchased in one of them white paper envelopes that you should get a bill or something in at least put a purchase in a bubble i'm not even going to get onto the issue of people if they don't top load the cards because that's just basics but at least put in a bubble mailer because or one of the hardback envelopes. Them white ones that I'm expecting to get a bill from, like, my phone company or in, from the bank or something. Like, I should be opening a white envelope and seeing a card in there, but it's a very little thing that I think... It's all right if it's in the white, if you're inside, there's bubble wrap, there's all protection, but when it's just a card slotted into a white envelope, it's a bit painful, and it can easily go, get damaged in the... Or, even a little rip and it could fall out. So please bubble mail your cards. It's just a very simple thing. Like, don't get me wrong. I I've, I think I've got a whole stack of them. And they're not they're not too expensive, the bubble mailers as well. So it, that's just a little one, which has always been a bit of a pet peeve. But I suppose not everyone is clued up as well in the hobby, especially when they're brand new of how it should be done. Yeah, and I think there's, you know, you what you got to do is ask someone. Like, you know, I think I'm pretty sure 99.9% of the collectors will all say the same thing. Top loader is like the bare minimum. When, like, if you're, if you're purchasing a card, you expect it to be, you expect to receive it in a suitable condition. You know, I bought a slab the other day um, off of someone on Instagram. And yeah, it arrived literally in a white envelope. I'm thinking if that post office is just like throwing this envelope around somewhere or they've dropped it from my from my front door and that, that slab then cracks or like falls on the floor and cracks you just think like just stick some cardboard in it even cardboard like just to give it a bit of protection um you know there's nothing like paying for for an item for it to basically sent with like a 50 percent chance of being damaged um especially like the, the sort of just the, the general cards that can get bent so easily then corners damaged anything so yeah, I think literally just buy. I think you can buy like a pack of like fifty bubble mailers for like ten quid off eBay. Just buy a pack and leave them in your room and just use them as and when you need them. Um, yeah, cause, I mean, I think the more the, the longer it goes on, the more people are gonna get gonna get frustrated. But um, yeah, I'm sure you're probably one of thousands in the hobby that uh, all experience this kind of frustration. So yeah. I said that was my last one, but I've literally just looked to my left and I thought something else that really annoys me. 
I'm sitting here looking at a top loader which had sellotape on it. <laughs> and and there is, this is a proper peeve because A, the sellotape never really comes off the blooming top loader and you're always left with the sellotape mark unless you get some sort of cleaner, which no one's doing for a top loader. I'd either team bag it so it doesn't like come out, even if you for some reason haven't got the right side top loader, or B, get some electrical tape on it and then that's perfect. So it comes off out of mark. That's just a proper peeve because I've got, I'm not kidding you when as recorded, I'm showing Harry on the recording, the two top loaders I've got to my left, both got the marks from either sellotape being on it or like a a masking tape kind of thing. And you can never get it off properly. And you can never use them top loaders because they just don't look good. So that's a peeve. And that's honestly, that's my last one. I might actually, I might actually even do this as a weekly series as a pet peeve every week because it's actually quite a good one. But the sellotape is really annoying, ain't it? I think, you know, we might put a little story out after this and get everyone else to send in their their pet peeves and we'll talk about it next week. Because um, I think it'll be interesting to see how many people um, all think of the... Uh, all struggle with the same frustrations or what different things people have uh, people have come across. They've gone like, you know what, this just grinds my gears. Um, I'll I, I tell you what, I think an unpopular opinion or a pet peeve I wouldn't say it's a pet peeve. It might be like an unpopular opinion more than anything. Is you know when you get your redemptions back in a mag with a panini sticker, people that take the panini sticker off the mag and take it out of the mag and put it in a top loader. Why? <laughs> like it's, it's it's personal preference. Like obviously, people that put them in a binder, or you know, I know a couple of guys that put them in binders. In which case, like like cool, like put in a binder, but. Where people take it off, they undo the Penny Redemption sticker, they then take it out of a mag and just put it in an empty top loader. It, it, I just don't understand it personally. I don't get it. But um, yeah, it's really more of like an unpopular opinion, maybe than like a, a pet peeve. But um, I literally just looked at my uh, Abamyang and Urza Redemption and I was like, I don't get people take the Redemption stickers off and put it in a top loader. Uh, I do agree with you there. The only reason I've ever cracked. A panini seal was when I was sending it off for grading. And that's my personal thing. I always keep them in the mags until they go to grading. It's just for me, even though it, oh, this is a God's honest truth here, and Jake at MGC will back me up. It was a flawless card still in the mag with the flawless sticker on it. And it took me honestly seven months to get the courage to open the mag because I just didn't want to do it. And now I have that flawless empty mag and I can't do anything with it because I'm just like, I still shouldn't, even though it's graded and it's all good, I still like, oh, it just looks so good within that mag. And like I said, I've got a Saka Redemption, which I purchased, where it, someone had opened it to look at the card. So it's got a massive rip down the middle, which is still a bit annoying, but it still looks, I, I know it's a redemption. So I still want the little Panini CS for customer service on it. But like I said, I think it's a very good talking point and no doubt we'll actually try and get some for next week to discuss, to talk about. And no doubt there'll be some funny ones on there. Even unpopular opinions within the trading card world could be a good one for another time. But moving on to the next talking point then, L underscore trade soccer, Louis is a good friend of the podcast. I said, what's your guys thought of the quality control of the World Cup stickers, parallels and comparison to previous years? Um, on quality control one, it's always weird with stickers because... Obviously, whereas cards, they're a bit more durable. I Personally speaking, I haven't had too many issues so far. Quality control. I've only opened opened 10 packs I got from a co-op and then a, one of the tins I got from the guys at Trade Wee. And the only card, only sticker what was damaged? Yeah, you guessed it. Cristiano Ronaldo, base sticker. So out of all the ones I wanted to be damaged, well, I don't want any to be damaged, but if there had to be, it would be the one that is not Cristiano Ronaldo. So... So far, it's been quite good in terms of quality control. But the one thing I do have a thing of saying is, I don't know why, but they just feel cheaper, the stickers. It, it might be saying in my brain was telling me this. I don't know why, but the actual paper feels a lot thinner. It feels, obviously, because there's 670 stickers in the set. So you could only imagine the amount of stickers that they've printed in the millions and millions and from the different regions around the world. So... It's like it feels a bit cheaper and not as sturdy, but I, I don't know if you've actually picked any up yet. But if you do, try not to because then you get on the act of then you want to buy more and more packs every time you go for a sandwich or a loaf of bread. But 
I do really like the stickers, but I might just do a uh, just collect the Arsenal ones, as I said before. Yeah, I've I've not actually gone and picked any up yet. Um, it's one of them things where I I pretty much stickered myself out when I completed the Euro um, Euro twenty twenty book and. Um, and that's not the ironic thing that actually got me into into the hobbies. Obviously, was the Premier League stickers during lockdown. Um, started doing those, and also then got into the got into the hobby that way. But yeah, it's one of the things where once you buy one, you just keep buying them. You can't you can't stop. You can't put an end to them. You walk into a shop and see a box say like, oh, I'll grab another five packs. I'll grab another ten packs, and it just mounts up. And next day, you've got a pile of stickers this thick just sat on the edge of your, edge of your table. So. Um, I've not picked any up yet, but um, yeah, stickers are them weird ones, isn't they? Where the quality can do—they're hard to keep in good nick. Obviously, stickers—they're not—they're a lot flimsier than cards. They're a lot more difficult to keep in pristine condition. So, I mean, you know, obviously, I'll take your word for it in terms of the quality control. Because I've not actually physically picked any up yet, but um, yeah, I, I might have to venture out and go and go and grab some in the next couple of days just to participate in the conversation but um yeah i've not actually yeah uh, yeah not actually picked any up yet yeah i'm still fuming of the ones i did open still no granite jackers bakayo sackers already arsenal players so i need to i need to either nix one of my mates dupes of them and go and get them graded or just keep trying to pack jacker until i lose money so no doubt that's going to happen but next another very good talking point comes in from actually from the manchester car conference happening next year is with Mickey Mantle's card selling for over $12 million, is it worth investing in baseball over other sets? I'll let you have your crack at this because I've got, I was talking to a few of my mates about this another, the other day. So, would you think because of the sour that you should invest in baseball? Um, I, I think it's a very um, difficult subject. Obviously, from my point of view, I know nothing about baseball, absolutely nothing. So for me to try and invest in baseball would literally be impossible because, I mean, you'd have to sit there and research and look at the trends, look at everything that's going on in in the baseball world to even try to consider investing in in, in baseball. Um, You know, you say to me, invest in F1 or or soccer, I guess. Yeah, I could probably do that a bit easier, but... um, I think Mickey Mantle was one of those cards where everyone knew about it. Like, even for me, I don't know anything about baseball, but I knew of this Mickey Mantle card that was like the most sought after card potentially in the whole hobby scene. Um, So, I mean, it's it's a difficult one because, like I said, I know nothing about baseball. So, I myself couldn't invest in something that I have no idea about. It's like me going to invest in makeup. Like, I ain't got a Scooby. Like, there's no point. Um, so, I think, to those who didn't know a lot about baseball, yes. I think there's a lot more investing that could be done potentially in American sports than maybe potentially the English sports. I say English sports like it's an English thing, like soccer, for example. Um, there's probably more potential in your NFL, your baseball um, your NHL, those sort of NBA, there's potential to invest more in those than, in my opinion, soccer and F1 to a degree. Um, I don't know what your take is on it. Also, I know we briefly touched on the subject before we come on about F1 and soccer and the trouble in investing in, in them. But yeah, where, where do you stand on that baseball opinion? No, I think it's an interesting point because. What I think a lot of people might not realise is that even though we claim soccer's our sport, which realistically, the whole trading card hobby is set by the United States of America prices. People want to believe that Europe set the prices on, for example, Petri rookies or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, all the prices are set by United States of America and their trading things. It's so much bigger than us. And it's only natural that on average, and obviously Obviously, not everyone, but some people have bigger knowledge of soccer in America than the other sports. But on average, American football, so NFL, NBA, MLB to an extent, but Panini don't have no license to that, and baseball are going to have the bigger interest in the United States because, A, they've been around longer in trading card sets. Like, for example, 
you can get a 1986 Michael Jordan Fleer, or you can go to 1984 and get the star um, rookies, which is what now is near enough 40 years old. Okay, football cards and cigarette cards, so to speak, have been around since early ni- late 1800s, early 1900s. But the actual proper trading card sets have not been as prominent and as well produced compared to the last like 15 years, really. All right, Panini started making late 90s, but not there's never been that interest. Whereas the amount of thousands and not millions of collectors in the United States who are watching basketball, baseball, hockey and football every single week are going to want to invest more money into it. Look at some of the QBs and a story I told you before. There was a a young quarterback who played for the Minnesota Vikings called Kalon Mond. And within the last three to six weeks, there's been such a hype around him in the training card world that he's like his NTs, the National Treasures, RPA was going for three to $4,000, whereas it was probably going for $1,000 about eight to 12 weeks ago. All this money's getting spent on him. People are spending big bucks, and I mean big bucks, to try and boost their collection, invest in this guy for the future. What happens? Bang. Gets cut from the Minnesota Vikings. And now he's not even in the league at the moment. So it's such more of a volatile market that the hype spreads so quick in America of a certain player. I remember a couple of years ago in the NBA world where you get your big draft picks always go big money. For example, John Morant and Zion Williamson for that rookie class. But then you get one who went like 15 who would get this massive spike. And then everyone's prices worldwide, bang, goes up because the Americans are buying into it. So, that's why we're all hoping that the United States goes crazy for the World Cup, which then leads them into soccer. And then obviously after the Qatar World Cup, up next is the Mexico, US and Canada World Cup. So that can only mean more rise into the hobby, more money. So, yes, I do, going back to the original question, I do think baseball could be good investing. But like you say, I would only ever personally invest in anything that I had real interest in and had the knowledge of. So naturally for us, it would be soccer because that's our biggest knowledge. F1 as well, we have good, uh, we claim to have good knowledge of that. Um, whereas I know a bit about, out of all the American sports, it's NFL and NBA for me that I know quite a bit about. But when we're talking money on their sets, it's ridiculous. For people who don't know, a box of hobby NFL prism, or sorry, NBA prism, $1,200 for one hobby box. You look at Premier League prism, now I think they're going for about $170. So you can near enough buy 10 boxes of the Premier League for one box of the NBA. And all right, you're going for your Cade Cunningham's, your Scotty Barnes, for example, or Evan Mobley. But it's all United States based. You look, if the people I spoke to who went to the Nationals, they all said the same thing of there was probably one table out of every single table at the Nationals that had soccer. And that shows you how small it still is in America. And the potential growth for us is unlimited at the moment of if it goes as half as big or even a quarter as big as some of these American sports, it's going to be massive for us. So, yes, the American one's always good to invest in, especially if you're looking at some of the best players of all time in them sports are very good price cards. I was recently looking at Sports Card Invested on a YouTube video of how much he's invested in the last four months which i think was i can't remember how many hundreds of thousands i think it was like eight hundred thousand dollars or something silly on trading cards and even they're in a low at the moment one of the lebron james black chrome rookies is down a hundred and eighty five thousand dollars in the last eight months so it's a great it's, it's a very good investing time everyone said it it's great to invest in so if you can obviously with the current climate crisis that we don't have a clue what tomorrow it brings so it's very hard to put in a lot of cash into cards but well if if you have an interest in american sport i'd say have a look into the cards or if you don't like american sport at all just stick with f1 soccer tcgs because at the end of the day it's a hobby and you shouldn't be going out spending hundreds or thousands on something that a you don't know but b have no real attachment to yeah definitely i don't i think that's obviously brings me back to obviously my first original point where it's I understand the hype around the Mickey Mantle and why it's sold for such a high price point. And there's a lot of interest in in baseball and in Mickey Mantle in general. But I just think from, like, the question was obviously, do you think baseball is wise to invest in? Yes, 
from a perspective of if you have the knowledge, the interest and the love for baseball. But I guess from a personal view, no, because I know absolutely nothing about it. So I think it's, it's that same old thing where you've got to just invest in buy what you love. There's no point in buying stuff for a trend or for a potential to be like, oh, someone, someone said this is a good guy to buy. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, it's just stick to what you know. Um, and, yeah, I probably won't be buying any baseball anytime soon. <laughs> I, if I had the resources to be able to invest in basketball, um, NFL would do, but it's a very, very expensive hobby. And as we say, we if we, we can all dream that the prices of the basketball world will one day be the soccer world, and we'd all probably be very happy people of some of our investments or collections. So, yeah, again, it's an absolutely fantastic question. I think it's one of them that if you like baseball, do it. Or if you're some people are gamblers out there, a lot of people are in this hobby, so you can take gamble. But always, as we said, we're not financial advisors at all. So take everything we say with a pinch of salt. But I would always say just collect what you like to collect. And I think there's no better thing of sometimes when you've got nothing to do or you want to pass some time, you just look through your whole, like your collection and you see players you know or some of your favourite players of all time, you like looking at the cards, you like displaying them because you can see them. Like, for example, your Mick Schumacher you bought. You know a lot about F1, you like Mick as well, so it's a great thing to look at and hold and possess. Whereas if that was, for example, a Mike Trout, you'd be like, oh, it's a nice card, but I haven't got the attachment to it. So always buy stuff with an attachment to it, or unless you're very certain uh, that you can make money off it, good luck, because it's a very... Very good hobby that you can make money off of it if you're smart enough. But who knows what, as we said, the dip in the market at the moment, it's not just because it's card related. It's just everything in the world's down in price. So always keep that in mind as well. And I think that leads into my last discussion. It's it's a, only a quick point, this one. But we're looking now, we're moving into, we're at the beginning of September. So we're, we've got month of September and then we've got October when a few more shows, especially like the next London Card Show comes up near the end of October. And do you think within the next eight weeks we're going to see a trend of more trading being done in the card scene rather than just selling because of the current climate, uh, current economy of the country and the world? Yeah, I think um, I think it's going to be a big eye opener going to the next. Uh, even let's look at London Card Show for example. Um, I genuinely think that it's going to be interesting to see whether people go there with the same budgets, the same, I guess, free cash, if you like, um, to go and spend money on on cards at these shows. Um, I think, you know, given the halt at the moment in buying, not as many people are, are spending money in the hobby. So whether people are coming to the point when they're saying that like, I'd rather save the money up and go and buy cards at the shows and spend my money like, in person um, as opposed to buying on eBay or, or for Instagram. So, yeah, I think it's going to be an eye opener to see what the atmosphere is like. I've no doubt it's going to be absolutely buzzing again, obviously, but more so the atmosphere in case of how many people are buying. We saw it from the last London card show where anyone that had the uh, pound, two pound, five pound boxes were absolutely selling stock like no tomorrow. Whereas the people that had the showcases with the more expensive items probably weren't selling as much as the, the cheaper items. So I think that as, as itself is a statement where obviously people don't have the spare cash anymore given the current, current situation. So I think we might see an increase in trading, especially with the trade night and, and stuff like that. So I think it, it could show an increase in trading as opposed to buying which I don't think would be a bad thing. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a bit of a, an eye-opener to see what any differences or any um, any slowing ups in buying. I definitely agree with you. I think it's something that you see a lot more, especially in the United States, of even part trades of cash plus cards or just trading in general. It's a very good commodity to trade with because someone... I was thinking, I was talking to one of my mates the other day about it, and I said, say, for example, your card is valued at £150, and there's a card you want, and it's £180. Rather than trying to find a buyer for your £150 card, 
and then you got to then go and find the person selling the card you want. But if you know, you can always go to the person. Say, I've got this. Are you interested in that? And then you can work out a deal because if you want to do a straight card swap, it's easy. Bang, done. See you later. Or even if it's a part trade and you're like, I'll oh, throw in a 20 quid with it. It's a lot more easier than finding 180 in general. So I think it might be a thing of like the trade night was a good example of how busy it was. And it's not a thing of them that I think the USA do it very well, that it probably will end up coming over quite a lot of, it's just natural that someone might have a card that you want. I know quite a few people that I'm, they've got cards that I want and vice versa. Um, especially like when you get into the same groups, of, like, for example, like you're like for us, we're both in the similar arsenal groups of trading card collectors that everyone knows someone who's got a card that they want and someone always has got a card that they want. So it comes with a chance of, Oh, do you want to do a trade? And then you might go, let me see what you've got. Or some people might say, I need the cash, which is both fair enough. And I think, be quite intriguing to see other people's standpoints on trading because I think it will soon become a lot bigger over here and I think it would be a uh, very interesting talking point, especially seeing point as well at the shows coming up. But that's our last main talking point and I always said that we'll keep you up to date on any purchases or any cards that we seen last week and my update will last a grand total of zero seconds because I've bought nothing. So there's my update. Uh, Harry, obviously you had the Mick Schumacher come through last week, which is a lovely, beautiful card. Uh, so apart from the bread and soup, or maybe not even soup, just plain bread that you've been eating this week, have you picked anything else up? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, I, 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 didn't, I didn't buy anything this week, but I got something delivered finally this week that I bought um, two weeks ago. So it was the um, Jack Wilshire Auto from Tops 2013. Yeah, Tops Gold 2013. I got the Auto and the patch card. Um, finally come through from America. I think it got delivered yesterday. I think it did. Um, so I guess no purchases, I guess, in the last week, but a delivery uh, nonetheless. Um, and yeah, it's very rare. You don't really tend to see many Wilshire autos in an Arsenal kit. So it was nice to uh, nice to get that through the post. But otherwise, for me, that is literally, literally it. Ah, so another quiet buying week for the guys at the Top Loader podcast. Hopefully, you'll start picking up soon, no doubt. Me and a few others have got a US shipment coming within the next two to three weeks if a certain person hurries up and orders it. No names mentioned there, Jason. Um, so hurry up and get all your Pinot blooming cards in the box so we can get them over. But like I say, it's been another fantastic episode of the Top Lake Podcast and some very good talking points this week. And no doubt we're going to, we want to try to bring on some guests very soon to talk some of these points. But we're going to do a section at every episode, I think, now that we ask for some questions or just some things to discuss but what people in the hobby want us to know about us or even what they want our opinions on, which is going to be very good. But like I say, um, it's been another great episode. A lot of fun again, building up to the card shows again and hopefully some more content along the line from us that we will want, want to bring you, not just podcasts, but other things potentially on the arise, which could be fun. So no doubt, Harry, I can understand. Thanks everyone yet again for tuning in for another episode obviously episode 29 now closing in on the big 30 um which is great great to see so by the time it gets to like the next card show i think we'll be closing on 40 near enough so that'd be even weirder but like i say there's some nice bits in the planning there's some nice things for the future but as always people stay safe happy purchasing happy trading but most importantly happy lb and good night stay safe guys see you later